Welcome to Arash's World. Today we have a special guest, uh, Michael Phillips. Uh, hello, Michael. How are you? Hello, Arash. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Very good. Thank you. I'm doing well. And so I would like to get uh, started here with a personal introduction of yourself, however you see fit, and then we'll dive into the discussions that we have here. Absolutely. Well, my name is Michael Phillips, and I am an author of a new book, uh, Wrong Lanes Have uh, Right Turns. And uh, I'm also a social entrepreneur and education advocate. Wonderful. And you're also a pastor. You're a pastor, right? Education <laughs> advocate. Uh, yes. And your book, uh, congrats, your book is Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns. I like the title very much. And oh, so if we, can, if we can get started a bit to talk about your personal experiences and whatever you see fit and whatever is comfortable to you, uh, let's just dive in and just see um, what uh, are your personal life experiences here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, my, my, my story is probably like most people's stories. As a matter of fact, in the book, I say that my story probably could have been told by a million different people a million different times. I, I came from a working class family, a wonderful, wonderful family. Uh, you know, mom and dad who loved all of us. I'm the youngest of four uh, uh, kids. So I have uh, three siblings, uh, older brother and two sisters. I'm the youngest, I'm the baby. <laughs> and uh, when I was 12, my father uh, passed away suddenly and it kind of said, it didn't kind of, it actually sent a lightning bolt through our family. And we all grappled with uh, the loss of our dad in different ways. And for me in particular, um, the way I grappled with it was to become a little rebellious and uh, to give in to uh, some of the dark elements that were in my community. And so that created a lot of trauma for me coming up as I was a young, young man and a young teen. No doubt. That is, uh, that is very, very difficult. And I'm sorry to hear that. But from your trauma, you did not get stuck. And, and trauma is something that I talk about on, on my program a lot. And I am um, very impressed when people have break the cycle, they have the resilience, the strength um, to, to break that cycle. And so what would you say has helped you to uh, reinvent yourself in many ways and uh, to get out of the dark place? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when when trauma goes unacknowledged, right, um, then the tragedies that come from that trauma can can constantly remain and go un, uninterrupted. But once you can acknowledge that pain, once you can actually say, uh, this is what I'm dealing with, um, or this is what happened to me, right? Uh, once you can do that, then that's the beginning of that discovery that lets you know it's something that happened or it's something that you did, but it's not who you are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, as long as your identity is connected to what happened, then it's gonna be very hard to break that cycle. Mm -hmm. But the moment that you realize that your identity is, is not that event, um, then you get the power to start to do the work that's necessary uh, to uh, pull yourself out of it with a lot of help, right? With a lot of help. It's very hard. It's yeah, very yeah. difficult. But the yeah. first step is really acceptance, I find. And then I, right. once you have that, then you have control and you have a choice. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much choice they have. Some have more than others, right? And yeah. we're going to talk yeah. about education in a moment of making sure that there are yeah. more choices given to, to everyone. But even so, 
there is a certain amount of choice that we have and control over some things and then to try to make that grow. But Absolutely. we do want to help. So you're also an education advocate. I have been in education for pretty much all my life, 20 yeah. years in schooling and then 20 years of teaching. So I've been on wow. both sides and wow. I have experienced <laughs> it. And so, yeah, let's let's talk about education. So what do you advocate? What would you say? Yeah, so, so I advocate to make sure that all children, particularly in the United States, right, regardless of their zip code, have access to high quality education. Um, the education in the States, as we know it, uh, has many inequities um, uh, for children, regardless of, you know, uh, race and or, um, you know, socioeconomic class and status. Uh, and so, in my opinion, the system as we know it was not created for all kids. It's not personalized enough. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of work to do on that front. But particularly, as I lay out in my story, uh, I was in a horrible school um, uh, growing up. Um, horrible in the sense of its actual physical presence, and then also the content of what was being taught as well. Uh, and I was completely bored out of my mind, um, uh, not receiving the, the information and the tools that I needed uh, to keep me engaged as a learner uh, and not allowing me to understand that I mean, learning happens everywhere. And uh, I wanted to be a lifelong learner, but uh, that wasn't possible because of the type of culture that was in my uh, K through 12 experience. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the reason why I've become an education advocate was because those same inequities that I suffered, the same atrocities that I went through are still prevalent today. Um, and, and so um, from experience, and also from a heart of empathy and compassion, uh, I advocate for all children uh, to have access to a high quality education because that's what they deserve. That's what they deserve. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think part of the problem is also in terms of education, in terms of the philosophy of education. And so when you're saying that you're bored and uh, you didn't feel uh, engaged, and I think that is across the board, that was across the board. And I see some mm -hmm. movement in the right direction, of really like the, the focus is the student and we have right. to encourage their, their learning, their motivation. It's not just about grades. I mean, we do need to evaluate uh, students, but it's really to make them grow and to, to go with that growth and to realize that each individual has different needs and different ways of learning and different uh, uh, capabilities as well. And I think we are, I feel like being yeah, on both sides, uh, yeah. I feel we are moving in the right direction. But then there's another problem, which is a, a more political and social issue. And that is something mm -hmm. that is, I think we're still far behind in that. We have to move yeah. forward. Yeah, absolutely. Like who has access to, exactly. to the direction that we're moving into, right? Mm -hmm. And so inevitably some children are being left behind, um, unfortunately. And that's what we have to make sure um, does not happen. Particularly today, you know, I grew up doing a crack epidemic, you know, uh, these kids are growing up doing a, you know, health uh, a pandemic. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a crisis on both ends. And uh, with the amount of learning loss, the amount of time out of school and all the things that they have to grapple with right now, uh, we have a lot of work to make sure that no child is being left behind. Absolutely. And uh, I'm impressed with kids, how they handle the situation. And I don't think they get yes. enough credit and they're actually not given <laughs> credit resilient. for how they're handling this. And yes. um, 
we really need to focus on that. And again, going back to their also emotional needs and, yes. and making sure that that is addressed because it must be hard. It's terrifying for us, the pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. it must be so much more so for them because they, we at least have had some life experience, but they are basically very confused of what's going on. So how can we make sure that they are, we're going in a way that's healthy but uh, safe, but it's also addressing the needs, the mental uh, health of children. What can we do? Yeah, you know, I think it doesn't have to be a either or choice. It needs to be both and. I think mm -hmm. we can keep our children safe as well as giving them all the tools they need to move forward, right? And so we've responded, you know, to this crisis, um, you know, in a, new, in a number of ways, right? Um, we've provided funding to to all types of institutions and individuals where there was needed in, in the sense of emergency. And so in this emergency response for our children, we have to make sure that, first of all, they're safe. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And I then second it. of all, right, right, they're safe. Uh, and then second of all, that they have all the resources that they need when they do return to school. And it can be done. It uh, this This crisis has proven to us that we can think outside the box and meet this challenge that's in front of us because we've kind of already done it in some cases. So where education is concerned, we need to measure everything. We need to fund everything, right? That needs to be an emergency response to this uh, situation. So let's, let's fund what needs to be funded. And then of course we can measure it all to see what's working and what's not working for the benefit of our children. And we'll keep after tweaking it as we go, uh, but uh, it's, it's work that needs to be done. And education is so important. I mean, I, I'm, of course, uh, biased because I, I am in education yeah. myself, but I think just seen objectively, it's hugely important for society. So I'm, I'm shocked that there is not enough funding for it. And there are budget cuts and um, programs get caught, uh, cut, cut yeah. as well. And like things like are, that are important too, like things like music or art or kind of creative expressions uh, are yeah. deemed as like, you know, second rate and are, are, are given the cut as well. So I, I think we really have to really focus on the importance of education, accept how hugely important it is and that any, everybody will benefit from it. The whole society, the whole country would benefit if we take this seriously. So I'm yeah. shocked when I hear that there are constantly budget cuts around. You know, education is is really the solution, right, to a lot of our plight. Mm -hmm. um, if you fix that, you fix a lot of different things, right? Mm -hmm. If you fix education, you're going to fix housing. You're going to fix uh, criminal justice. You're, you're going to touch a, a lot of things because there, all those systems are interconnected. And so, when when it comes to um, the priorities that we have uh, in terms of educating our kids. Um, the idea and the concept of education was that we would pool our resources right together uh, for the benefit of educating all of our children. Uh, but what has what has resulted uh, from that idea is that uh, each individual child, right, each parent, rightfully so, is concerned about their child, right? Mm -hmm. That's one one thing. And then, of course, the system itself isn't built or constructed to actually handle, right, each and every individual child. And so it's kind of, you know, just wholesale, one, one size fits all uh, approach to it. And that actually doesn't work. And so we do know what works. 
um, you see the models across the country and in different places around the world that actually are getting tremendous outcomes. We just have to have the wherewithal as a priority, right? To make that possible for every child. So I always say it's priority, it's people, and it's pace, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's priority because that's where it starts. Is this important to us? Yes. It's people, it's gonna take us as individuals to continue to advocate, raise our voices in every community to say, this is what we want for our children. And then there's pace, there's an urgency to this uh, that we have to move because that kindergarten, that first grader, that second grader, it's a finite amount of time, okay? We don't, we don't have forever to get it right. And so I'm hoping that we can move with priority as people and move with pace. And and one thing, yes. So we're talking about access, and it's it it is a basic fundamental right, and we really have That's to right. make sure this is again a priority. Yes, uh, but it's yeah. not a privilege. It is a basic right for everyone. And, that's right. and that's one thing. I think one of the issues might be, and again, talking about the unconscious and that we might have this like bias that we might have was basically about in 1994, I think the book uh, Bell Curve that talks about IQ and uh, academic achievement. And basically they, the, the whole like, focus was on genes and that you cannot change that. And we know that is completely wrong. We do know with right. neuroplasticity that the brain does change and so yes. on. So the, it's not scientific, but then even worse was the assumption that um, um, people um, um, and black people here, specifically African-Americans, um, but also minority, other minorities would not be able to, would, are not as smart. First, that's one of the assumptions. They're not as that's smart right. as, as white that's people. That's right. Oh, Asian uh, people are the smartest and then the white. And then, so that kind of that kind of class system, which is bogus, which is completely unscientific. And um, mm -hmm. But that's, I think, stayed in the back of many people's minds that if sure. you're not smart, then you cannot get better. So education would be a waste of time and resources. And yes. I think we really need to talk about that. You know, it wasn't until my senior year in high school when an adult told me that I was intelligent. Uh, it, 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 it's amazing to me that you're absolutely right, uh, that I always say like bias blocks our blessings, right? You know, what we're not willing to see, <laughs> but what we're willing to confirm. So confirmation bias says that I'm going to look for information that proves yeah. what I believe, right? <laughs> right. Uh, that's a that's a confirmation bias. And then there is, you know, your your explicit bias, just just total prejudice towards, you know, someone that is of a different race, right, or culture. Uh, but but then there there is implicit bias, which is the most dangerous because, you know, you're not you're not critically conscious enough. You're not aware. Uh, that you hold these beliefs based upon some curated thought or image that you have uh, been given that you held as true and you never questioned it, right? Yes. Uh, so for me as a young black male com coming up in school, you know, I was not believed in intellectually. Mm -hmm. uh, the only place I was, I was uh, prompted to do anything great was physically as an athlete. And, and so, uh, but no one ever really uh, was curious about my intellect um, until my senior year in high school because I got great grades. Even though I didn't care about school, it was, school was easy to me. The work was easy. It was not 
uh, fulfilling at all. I could do it with a breeze without any study whatsoever. And so, um, you know, intelligence, you know, is, is, is discerned. You have to, you have to know that you have it where we all have our own genius, right. Mm -hmm. And our, and our own way of learning. And so what bias does is it really blocks our blessings. And what I mean by that is, is that the innate genius that's in you or in a child, the world needs Yes. And if you and if you don't believe that they have it, then we're robbing our own selves of the gift of that person that's in this world that could produce something that's absolutely amazing. Completely agree with you. And there are different types of intelligences too. I mean, we have emotional right. intelligence. We have like also um, curiosity is kind of that's very interesting. That's something that that people have and. Uh, it makes you explore things and you That's reach right. knowledge that way. So there's just a, 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 it's just a very limited view in, in, in any way. And I think yeah. one of the things um, um, social psychologist Claude Steele talks about stereotype threat. And um, uh, when he talks about that, it really, they have researched and they have proven in studies um, that this is something that we all carry within us as stereotypes. Yes. So for example, that idea is like, yes, um, you are from this race, so you won't do well in school. You are Asian, so you will do well in math. And so what that does in many ways, it, it is kind of feeding that insecurity, that anxiety that we have. And they show that people actually, when, when that is, is, is going on, people do worse. They achieve uh, because they block themselves. They achieve less yeah. and they should be yeah. capable of doing it, but it goes with everybody. And so that is the, the, the problem we have because we expect people to be a certain way. And that is a stereotype. At the same time, we're afraid of falling into that exception. So we try extra hard not to appear that way. And then right. we make things very complicated. And right. he gave an example of uh, basically a, a white uh, teacher and uh, um, black parents talking about um, the, the, the child. And so there's this like fear of the white person of appearing racist. And then there's the fear of the black people of the child not uh, seeming intelligent or being lazy. And then so this yeah. interaction is, is not going to be natural at all. And it won't be helpful for anybody who is involved yeah. there. And I yeah. found that fascinating to really like uh, to to realize that. And when they took that away and they said, it doesn't matter if you are uh, a man or a woman, it's a math test. And we found that on this math test, men and women do equally well. And what happened is that was actually the result because the, the women were not afraid or intimidated by that stereotype threat. And so it, it, it went a different direction. So, so I think one thing we need to make sure in, in classrooms is that it is a safe environment. Uh, I try to do that with my language classes too. I say, you know what, you make a mistake, it's okay. I'm not gonna, uh, it's not <laughs> the end of the world and that's how you learn. But I right. think we need that across the board that everybody's voice is important, that everybody's heard that, um, again, intelligent is not just like assumed, oh, because you're from this country or this race, you are more intelligent than others, but actually to see things in a more balanced way. And I think that is missing still today. Yeah, absolutely. It is missing. You know, the word educate itself, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it really means to pull out, mm -hmm. right? Uh, not so much to pour in, and so each child like that. that's sitting in the mm -hmm. each child that's sitting in the classroom has something to offer, mm -hmm. right? 
and they're on this this journey of self-discovery and we as parents and teachers and all those who play a part and a role in their life have the responsibility to make sure that we're showing our children their giftings and their talent and helping to cultivate them and so you know empowerment is always an inside job uh, and um, our kids to feel that empowerment um, really comes from uh, when the their educational experience uh, is good and healthy uh, for them uh, because they'll thrive in the world. Um, and so, you know, the work of every educator is sacred to me. Uh, so thank you for being <laughs> one. <laughs> thank you for being one uh, because it's a tall task and uh, whatever you've contributed to those young people, I'm sure it was an absolute amazing uh, experience for them. Uh, and so uh, to your point though, uh, having our children in that safe environment, uh, in that space where we're we're busting all of those stereotypes, right? Where they don't even feel a shred of that, where race doesn't even come into the picture. Um, you know, this is what we really long for, right? Um, that it's okay to have your differences and have your ethnicity. We we want you to acknowledge that. It's we don't need you to be colorblind. Yes, if this is a black child, this is a Latino child, or you know, wh whatever your race or ethnicity is, acknowledge that. We want to embrace your culture. Uh, and and we want to make sure that we're culturally competent, right? Um, as as to relate to your world, uh, so that you can navigate um, this world of education and in a larger perspective. Because until we acknowledge your culture and your world, you're not going to be open, right, mm -hmm. to a different perspective or different way of doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I'll tell you like this. I love to cook, right? I love to cook. Cool. And, um, you know, we went to, uh, um, my wife and I, we went to Mexico and uh, uh, this uh, chef wanted to cook a, a lot of different food for us. And, and as he was cooking, I was watching and noticing, you know, some of his techniques and some of the food, even though nuance, it's kind of just like, you know, uh, <laughs> like, you know, something, something I would, I would make or eat it. It has a little bit different flavor, a little bit different uniqueness to it, uh, but it's really connected, right? But he was showing me a different ways of, of doing what they do and adding their flavor and culture to it, which enlarged my perspective. That's all education is, right? Mm. That's, that's, that's all it is. To put you in a setting where you can learn and see, hey, here's a possibility, or hey, here's a better way of doing it, or, or hey, here's a possible answer, right? You know, because life doesn't give you one right answer. There's multiple. <laughs> there's, there's I, I love multiple. the analogy of like, they, yeah. these are the ingredients. Now cook up something and you make exactly. your own dish. And we want exactly. more of that. We don't want exactly. the same regurgitation of like knowledge. And it's like, and that's exactly. like, again, we've, we've moved in a different direction. Um, one thing I just remembered earlier when you talked about not being engaged and because you are smart and you knew this stuff. But the problem is though, that the confirmation uh, bias that people have and the fundamental attribution, uh, attribution, um, attribution, sorry, error, um, that is um, kind of, they see things in a, in a different way. So the assumption is because you're not engaged, you look mm -hmm. bored, you're lazy. And that yeah. is not the case. And it's it again. It doesn't also depend on race, but it gets worse when when uh, racial it, factors. It really in. does. But we, really we see it with students today uh, in in Canada where I am, and a lot of them are just 
self-medicated after that. They say they're diagnosed with ADHD when they don't actually have it. And they're restless and they're bored because the information is boring, right? And even yeah. if, if you put an adult in that situation, they would roll their eyes as well. And exactly. so when we step in the direction of the students and work with them and give them what they want, what they need, that would make a huge difference. And I see school more, it's like, like prison time. Yeah, you got your time, okay? You, you spent yeah. all year in this <laughs> class, now you can move on. But it's like, it doesn't work that way. Some people need less time, some people need more time. And yeah. we need to uh, address that. But to, to address that, we also need more budget, more time, more patience, uh, strong teachers, and uh, uh, a society that really supports that as well so it is yeah. complicated it, it's very complicated uh and you know anytime you're trying to um reform reshape reimagine uh something you know people who benefit from the status quo are going to be opposed to that change uh and so we really have to ask ourselves who's benefiting the most mm -hmm. from things remaining the same our children are not yeah. right um and so we have to find a way um, and, and there are some, again, there are some models out there. There are some ph phenomenal schools that are getting it done. Um, but we have to find a way to broaden that and to scale that to make sure that every child has access to that. Um, there was a young man, uh, to your point of stereotypes, there was a young man, uh, he was a third grader. Uh, I was visiting schools uh, years ago, uh, trying to figure out what was working in my city and what wasn't. And on one school visit, I met this young man. He was standing in the corner of a classroom. Uh, to, to the point where I was kind of disturbed because I didn't understand why. So I asked the teacher, I said, you know, is he in trouble? She said, no, he always stands up in the corner. Um, and they had mislabeled uh, this young man, okay, as uh, 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 to have special needs, with, which he did not. And, um, and, and so I went over, to, I asked the teacher, I said, can I go talk to this young man? She said, yes. I said, great. So I go and tap him on the shoulder. He turned around. Uh, just a bright young man. He tells me his name. I shake his hand. I tell him mine. Tells me his name is Calvin. And we have this wonderful conversation about this class and how he loves this class. And I say to him, Calvin, why are you, if I can ask you a question, why are you standing in the corner? And he pointed to his chair and he said, my chair is broken. Um, it, 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 was, it was one of the <laughs> greatest revelations I've ever had in my life. Um, here you have this, this amazing young person who is interested in science, he wants to be an engineer, but he's standing up in the corner of a classroom, right? And he has this label on him uh, that he has a learning disability. Uh, and if you have a learning disability, that, that's okay, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but he has, he has been told that he has a learning disability. When in fact, he just decides to stand up in the corner because of a broken chair and he got tired of getting in trouble for falling out of the chair because it was slanted, right? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing right there is as small as that might be, um, how many of Calvin's are there uh, in the educational world, right? In schools across our country and Canada, how many young people are, mm -hmm. are, are in a position where they're not being acknowledged for who they are, yes. right? They're just being told, you know, what they are, right? That's the stereotype. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and communication yeah. there, talking, and this is such a moving story, but talking to the child and finding the reason, why are you standing up? It's a simple question, right. you know, and that would have <laughs> solved the issue. Uh, and exactly. uh, empathy, I mean, of saying, okay, this is not done out of meanness, but having empathy with the children. And one of the things I've learned recently, I have um, a teenage son, but I was looking at the brain, I talked to various experts about the, the brain of teens, and in many cases, because the brain is growing, they don't remember things, or it's not that it's intentional and they want to defy us, which would be kind of our perception of it, but it's because right. they actually genuinely forgot and that the brain is, is overwhelmed with stuff with growth and so on. So that, that changed uh, my perspective. Of, and that's uh, adolescence is like goes up to the mid 20s. So that's the right. group of students I would have. And then when they would forget their homework, maybe it wasn't laziness, maybe it's because they generally <laughs> forgot. So that changed that. I, I do have a lot of empathy in my classes, but that I made it even more so because I yeah. cannot just make that assumption. It might be true in many cases, but in some cases it's not. And I had the privilege uh, years ago, many years ago to work with um, in a school that had at-risk students. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just for a summer. And um, I was surprised because the, the students I had were amazing. They were bright, they were brilliant. And I, they're probably the, some of the best students I've had. And I'm thinking, yeah. why are they labeled at risk? It just yeah. didn't make sense to me. And it's it's kind of, I, I think that kind of that uh, negative bias that we have or the uh, preconceptions of things, this means that, and not really yeah. exploring it, not being curious about the other person and the students in this case. Uh, totally. Uh, you know, if we could just change our language where our children are concerned and remove all deficit narratives, mm -hmm. you know, those children that we label at risk are really at promise. Yeah. And and what we should be saying about them is that, you know, they're at promise. They have some predicaments. They have some situations that are difficult to overcome, but they are still at promise young people because they're young people. They're, they're, <laughs> they, have a, they have a long way to go uh, until they become, you know, adult citizens. And so they're still uh, with, within our grasp and within our reach to be able to shape and mold them. And so let's just say they're at promise instead of saying they are at risk. The deficit narrative as it relates to our children really does need to uh, change and be disrupted uh, so that we're talking about our children's future uh, with the most positivity that we can possibly uh, uh, use um, around them uh, and when they're not around so that we can get it etched in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, that takes empathy to your point, right? Uh, and so I like to say that empathy doesn't need a lot of details, it just needs a mirror. If you can see yourself, right? Um, and the possibility of where your life could have went wrong, um, then it's very easy to see somebody else, yeah. And I would expand it to the home, to the family. And um, um, I, I think that deficit language also exists within families. And we look at yes. parents and they are in, in a way, it's not intentional, of course, but in a way they continue to, to facilitate that downward spiral and that lack of confidence in one's abilities. And we yes. really have to educate ourselves too as, as parents and we're hugely influential and responsible for our children not completely of course but to a very large degree 
making Absolutely. sure that the home is a safe place. Now, in terms, as much as we can, of course, if you're in a, yeah. socio, a lower socioeconomic uh, strata, it's more difficult. There is noise and there are many people and you can't study. But uh, to, again, provide that kind of empathy, that power that you have and encouraging them to continue. And uh, I think um, we need to work on that and be more aware of that as, uh, as, yeah. as parents and, and our families. Absolutely. You know, it's um, uh, when my son was born, um, you know, I made every effort uh, to make sure that the words I spoke over him were, were always positive, always affirming, always loving, uh, even when he got it wrong. Right. <laughs> yes, <of> course. <laughs> even when he got it wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as parents, that's our, that's our responsibility. Uh, and so, uh, hopefully, um, in the school and out of school, when it comes to our children, uh, we can, we can use that asset-based language, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, as we talk about our children, it, mm -hmm. it would, it would be much better for them, much better for us. And, and to break cycles, because the people say, well, when I was a kid, I got spanked and disciplined and all that. And we would say, okay, that was in its own time, but now we have to go right. with the times. And we know that that was wrong. They did not know back then, or That's maybe right. they might have an inkling, but again, we can't blame them for it. But we mm -hmm. do know now, and that is not helping. So it's also a change of culture and uh, mindset and the way we, we approach things and situations. And what you're saying is, is wonderful. And I think those, those experience, those mistakes, I, I encourage them because from those mistakes is where the learning happens. If you just do it in a safe way, you will never learn anything. That's but right. the growth That's comes right. from the, the mistakes, from the suffering. But what they need, the children need is, is support, emotional support, that it's going to be okay. They're not going to be punished for, for making mistakes, but they will be right. reminded, you know, and we think about the brain again. Often they lack the uh, way of thinking that we have, the rational thinking that we take for granted. They are still developing. So that, again, goes back to the empathy and uh, connection and compassion that we should have also within our homes and not just yes. in schools, but also within. Yes, you know, what that power produces is the ability to parent and or teach for that child's future, mm -hmm. not from our past, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, right. so in other words, as a parent, I was helping to parent my son for the future he would have, not from the past I experienced, right? You know, so I wasn't going to uh, stop him from trying something or doing something that I didn't get a chance to do when I was his age or- and Many you know. parents do, which is so frustrating exactly. for everyone exactly. actually. Yeah. yeah, because mm -hmm. our children are not going to live in our time. You understand, mm -hmm. they, they, they're, they're gonna be adults in a different world, in a different space, and we have to prepare them for that world not for the world where we we are in right now, right? Um, and it's and natural so, though, if I can butt in. I mean, I, my, I love classical music and I try to instill it with my son, but he just doesn't like it. And so at some <laughs> point I have to accept that. And uh, that's not his thing. And then he does things that I don't like, but I say, okay, you know what? I have to be open-minded. I respect that. I don't agree yeah. with it, but it's not what I would right. do, but sure. You listen right. to whatever you want to listen. You know? and <laughs> we, we try to enforce things and it, it comes out of a good place probably because you say, oh, this works Absolutely. for me. It will work for you. 
but yeah, things yeah. are different. Things are changing. In my time, we did not have technology that we have today. So um, oh, my son is Can way ahead of me. I asked for, <laughs> for help from him because, yeah, uh, and so that has also made us much smarter. I think the kids much smarter. Um, yeah. where, where I kind of, I'm trying to catch up and, um, but um, <laughs> the, the information age, access to good TV programs. If I remember like the, the cartoons I used to watch and just, think oh my god like there's no educational value there it was just garbage right. and right. <laughs> um and now there is like all this movement to incorporate that so we are growing more intelligent there is more access to knowledge and so on and we really have to build on this momentum and not yes. block it with uh, uh things like limitations and uh, that is either from our family or from outside or from the media or from our yes. teachers and to really kind of find ourselves, our, our, our inner voice, our, our talents, our vocation, and, and, and be able to take that path and not be discouraged. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. I, can, I agree. I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, one of the things uh, yeah, I did with my daughter uh, in terms of music, uh, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I told her, I said, everything you're listening to was sampled, okay? You know, and here's the original. Here's here's who wrote that sound, and and it really created this wonderful bridge between past and present. And I I grew an appreciation for the music that she loved, and she grew an appreciation for the music that I loved. And by the way, I love classical music as well. <laughs> I, I love know. all kinds of music, but it's yeah, it's too. also that is something that I I was now I've learned actually what I best thing to do is just to listen to it and to enjoy it yeah. because then yeah. there's this curiosity it's like my son would say oh this piece sounded interesting I said like, okay <laughs> now I can tell you about it instead of forcing him to like you sit here and listen you know that that, that right. doesn't work <laughs> right no no not at all not at all yeah. and, and, and at he all. would get bored when I take him to classical concerts but I should like be more compassionate and say okay well probably it is boring for him I mean his view, it is boring and uh, I'm just enjoying it so being open in that way and uh, in, in in everything we do especially in relationship with our with our children who are yes. these like uh, this promising these promising beings and mm -hmm. to to if they are successful and in, in school and uh, they graduate from college that's great that's what I would prefer but to find yeah. another way that's fine too as long as they are they're happy. And as yeah. you're saying, I think, yes, the world is changing. We don't know what's going to happen. Even like a couple of years ago, I had no idea I would work remotely, that I yeah. would do a podcast. You told me three years ago, I would say, no, that's not my thing. And now, <laughs> now I'm, I'm loving it. I'm doing it and I'm enjoying it. And so it's that kind of openness to go with the times, to go with the flow and not yeah. blocking ourselves uh, to that, just kind of, um, and, and so things are changing. So the needs in the future, the jobs in the future, we don't really know. And so right. that's the problem with education too, because they're still preparing the old style, the old way of doing things. But what we need is not, of course, knowledge is important, but it's more like wisdom, applied knowledge, because anybody yeah. can Google anything. So right. uh, that has changed. And that's actually is, is a threat for, for teachers when they say something, a student right. can just Google and say, sir, you're wrong <laughs> on what you just told us. And, and right. that is a kind of threat we, we see. And to, um, I think one of the issues is also not to seek perfection, whether within ourselves or within our children, but to be able to just explore and um, let them grow. 
and they will not be perfect and that's okay but they're as yeah. good they try their best and that idea of perfection is creating a lot of pressure and i think especially on minorities these days because they try to make up for what they see as a lack and they try to 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 work too hard and too much pressure on themselves and i think that is something that um and it, again happens to everyone we need to deal with if you make mistakes if i make mistakes as a, as an instructor it's it's normal it's human nobody yeah. is perfect or can be perfect and you don't want to be perfect because that sounds pretty boring <laughs> anyway yeah there's no, no room doubt. for growth yeah yeah no room for growth and yeah. you know it's not about perfection it's just about being present Yes. You know, being present as a parent, being present as a human being, being present as a person, uh, and that's how the growth comes. That's mm -hmm. how the development comes. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a pursuit uh, so much of, of perfection. It's just, uh, am I present right now in this moment? Uh, and uh, it's um, uh, in our society, I, I think that uh, the pressure uh, to perform uh, is, is just as, as, as difficult, uh, regardless of, you know, where you come from, you, you know, to perform, to get somewhere, mm -hmm. to do something. Yes. Um, and um, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because our culture is so punitive, right? Yes. Um, you know, it's not a culture of possibility, um, you know, as much as it is, you know, a culture of punishment. If I mess up, if I get this wrong, Yes. You know, I'm going to be punished. Yes. Um, and so we have some cultural work to do um, to, to, to understand that, you know, um, you're, you're the, the perfect individual that we're talking about doesn't exist. Right. And it, it, um, it reminds me, sorry, this, this brings back to mind when I went to my old high school in Germany, I, I um, grew up in Germany and studied there. Okay. And so um, I heard, I've heard these kids talking about a grade in, in, in their German literature class. And one of them was worried and it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I just wanted to like uh, turn to him and say, you know what? It's okay. It doesn't matter. That grade in that class will not change anything. And I did not get a good grade. And look where I am. And I am successful. But we fret over things. And we are mm -hmm. scared. And we think it's the end of the world if we fail a class or fail an exam. And there's also this competition. And I absolutely agree with you in terms of our society, like pushing us to compete with others. But that competition, in, it's good at times, but it also exists within the same organization where it's like the same workplace. People are competing with each other and thinking that is not helpful because where is the team building? Where is that connection? Where is like, I support you and you support me, but we're always mm -hmm. like on the guard. It's like, no, I wanna be better than this other person. I wanna be superior. Right. And there is, there is no break. There's no respite. Yeah. We keep going, 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 and we don't have time to be present, as you're saying. Yeah, we don't. And and so that stems from this this meritocracy mm -hmm. uh, that we have in our culture and you know, exceptional individualism, which you know, I don't think is really a thing, right? Because mm -hmm. every individual that has become exceptional has had help from somebody to be exceptional. <laughs> you, you didn't just get there by yourself. <laughs> you didn't arrive by yourself. Somebody opened the door, somebody showed you some knowledge, somebody gave you some wisdom, uh, somebody helped you up. Uh, and, and that's what we have to tap into, that, that deepened community, right? Where we are connected in a way 
from our from a place of humanity that says, you know, we want you uh, to become the best version of you, right? To yes. contribute your highest good to society because it's going to help us in the long run, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, yes. We'll, yeah we'll, we'll all benefit from from it. And, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's right. Wonderful discussion. So your book is uh, Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns, A Pardon Man's Escape from the School to Prison Pipeline and What We Can Do to Dismantle It. And that yes. is also the work that you're doing in terms of being an advocate for education and to yes. make sure that um, um, people learn from your experiences that it doesn't happen again. It's not something that um, other people suffer from as well, just kind of paving the way for, for others. Uh, you're also mm -hmm. the founder of Life Prep, and I uh, just want to briefly also talk about that before we wrap up. Yeah, you. absolutely. So yeah. Life Prep is a concept that, that hopefully will be able to uh, help uh, children from low income and socioeconomic backgrounds get access to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math in a life setting, right? And so life doesn't stop. It's, it's, it's every day, all day. <laughs> it doesn't stop. Um, and therefore, learning should not stop, right? Mm -hmm. um, it happens everywhere. So our goal is to make sure that we're providing um, those exposure points and access to a tremendous education for children, but also for their parents as well. Um, because okay, sometimes, yes. right? Yeah. Because sometimes it's, it's, you have to go, uh, you have to work dual generationally uh, in order to break those cycles and have some significant impact for the whole family. Uh, and so we came up with this idea of life prep. Let's prepare children, uh, students, families for life. Let's 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 do let's do that right, yeah. and uh, so that's that's life prep, man, and, and uh, we're just getting it off the ground, but we're very excited about it. Oh, love it! Thank you yeah. so much uh, for for being on my show, for talking to me about these wonderful ideas. Best of luck! Yes. Congrats to your book, and best of luck thank with you. it. And uh, thank, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, thank you, Raj. Thank you for having me. Take care.